Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning. Well, we are in the Christmas season. I don't know about you, but uh, it's here. It's December 1st today. And uh, as we look at this season, I I just want to challenge you if you're part of the Venture Church family, this is a very strategic season for us as a church, especially in our country today. When you look at all the ways that uh, the culture pulls back from what we believe, it feels like there's a, a split that's going on in a lot of different things. When we have these opportunities where the culture looks to church, actually looks to the stories that we celebrate, we need to take advantage of it. It was interesting, I was reading the Pew Research did a, a polling of, in the United States. It's nine out of 10 Americans, 92% celebrate Christmas. I mean, almost all Christians do, but here was the surprising part. 81% of non-Christians celebrate it. 87% of those with no religion. Even three quarters of Asian Americans, Buddhist, 76%, and Hindus, 73%, celebrate Christmas. Now, for many, it is a cultural celebration, especially if you've come from another country, you're another religion. They still culturally celebrate with us in our country. And the reason I highlight this, and I just really want to encourage you, you have friends, you have neighbors, you have coworkers, you have people you know, sometimes from other countries. And in this season, you would be surprised how open they are to celebrating Christmas to wanting to engage. And so so that's why over the course of the 22nd, 23rd, 24th, we're doing seven services. And the reason we do that, it's our time of year to not do it for us, it's for our community. It's for those who don't know. Because if this is one of the few times of year where they look up and they go, yeah, I'd be interested in that, shouldn't we take advantage of it? So everything we do that weekend, the weekend before, we won't have our Saturday night or Sunday morning services. We'll start on Sunday afternoon, and we'll do seven services. And hear me, I, I've got no desire or this, to preach seven times. That wasn't the impetus behind this. But as we looked at it, we looked at Sunday afternoon, and then a couple on Monday, and then three on Tuesday, Christmas Eve. We just want to provide every opportunity that as you're inviting friends, as you're connecting with someone, they would look at it and go, you know, I could go to that time. Yeah, I'd love to be a part of that. We do this for the people who aren't here because as a church, the reason we're here, guys, is to make disciples. That means we're called to help people find and follow Jesus. And adventure, we believe everybody's got a next step. Everybody's got a next step in Christ. And wouldn't it be awesome if this Christmas, someone you knew, someone you invited, took their next step. And not only celebrated the culture of Christmas, but they actually celebrated, what does it mean that he's Emmanuel, God with us? You know, one of the things I love about the Christmas time, especially when you've got little kids, and maybe you experience it right now, the anticipation that starts building. I mean, when the calendar hits December, man, they start counting down the days and they're looking forward, and the anticipation just keeps building. Now, it goes so slow when you're a kid. When you're an adult, it feels like it flies by. I don't know about you. I look up and I go, wait, it's Thanksgiving? Wait, it's December? And then you kind of, wait, it's Christmas Eve? And as a guy, that's when I kick in and go, I probably better go shopping. <laughs> yeah, you got one amen there. 
I, it's, it's interesting, the perspective, but the, the anticipation that builds is almost as fun as the holiday itself and all the things that you're looking forward to. And one of the things I love about Scripture is there's that same anticipation in the coming of Christ. In fact, if you look all the way through the Old Testament, there's these different pointers, sometimes prophecies, that point to Jesus coming and who he is. And sometimes I think we miss this as the church because we only look back on Christmas from the story that we know, and we fail to go back in time. So for this current series, we're going to be looking with anticipation to prophecies that pointed to Jesus coming, specifically out of one book, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is an interesting book, 66 chapters. It's divided, 39 chapters are focused on one group before they went into exile, 27 chapters after it. It has more messianic prophecies, more prophecies about Jesus than any other book. And in it, these interesting pointers that show us who Jesus is before he ever came. Once you go back in time with me 700 years before Christ, let me give you the setting a little bit for the prophecy we're going to look at today. It's probably one of the ones we know the most about Jesus. But we often don't know the context it was in and how it was originally delivered. Back in around 735 BC, the nation of Israel was in a bad way. At this point, it had already divided into two different nations. There had already been a civil war that they divided. And in that division, you had Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And the kings over Israel, for the most part, were always ungodly. So pretty quickly, they went into ruin. Over the south, you had some godly kings, although in 735 BC, one of the worst kings who ever ruled Judah, a man named Ahaz, was on the throne. If you look at it on the map here, you can see. So here's the northern kingdom of Israel. Here's the southern kingdom of Judah. Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom. And Ahaz was facing a problem because the king over Israel and the king over Aram, Aram, which we know as Syria, these two kings, even though they were natural rivals, had formed a coalition. They recognized that the world superpower Assyria was causing a threat. And so they thought, we better join together. And they went to Judah and they said, we want you to join our coalition that we're going to stand against Assyria. Now, the Lord didn't want Judah to trust these two kingdoms and to trust what they were doing. And so wisely, Ahaz, the king, didn't join their coalition. The problem was he had a different plan. If you look at the next map, here you can see this is the threat that was coming. Here was Assyria, and about the time of Isaiah 7, the kingdom was this large, but it was coming this way soon. And soon you can see over the years it would grow and go all the way down into Judah. Ahaz had determined... You know, instead of joining these two guys, what if I joined with them? Which is actually the worst thing you could do. Because this is the most ungodly nation on the planet. The atrocities they were doing. And so God wants to get Ahaz's attention. And try to warn him, you don't have to worry about the threat of Israel and of Aram. You have to worry what they're doing. I'm with my people. I haven't given up on them. And so he sends Isaiah the prophet to go and confront Ahaz. Read with me in Isaiah chapter 7, 
And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. He's saying, hey, ask for a sign. I'll prove to you this is not going to be to your destruction. Now, Ahaz acts very pious here. He says, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to test. Now, he's not really pious. He just doesn't want God to intervene in his plans. I don't know if you've ever dealt with somebody. Sometimes they'll use the Bible to kind of confirm what they wanted to do all along. And it really is exact opposite of what God's doing. And so God says, okay, even though you don't want a sign, I'm going to give you a sign, whether you want it or not. And read verse 14. This should be a pretty familiar verse for us. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, we know the Christmas context of this verse. We know what this sign ultimately points to. But one thing you'll find in prophecy, especially in the Old Testament as it went through, is often there was a dual fulfillment. Many times the prophet, when he gave a prophecy, it applied to the time and the life of the prophet right there. It applied to the people there while still pointing to something greater that maybe even the prophet doesn't fully understand. Doesn't fully understand how God is going to fulfill this. In this time period, he says, Ahaz, a son's going to be born. Go back to the verse, verse 14. If we could go back. He says, he's going to give you this son, this virgin... Is it, 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 this word can also mean a young woman, but the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So there's going to be a young woman who has a son. Now he continues on with the prophecy about this boy. Look at it in the next verse. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Here's the fulfillment in their time. That, that a young woman, a virgin now, is going to have a son. He's not declaring it's a virgin birth at this time. But this child will be born. And this child's going to be a son. Before the child is old enough to know right and wrong. Before the child is six, seven years old. In that time period, notice the two things he says. He will eat curds and honey. See, one of the fear is if their army came, there would be a famine. We're not going to have food. He says, you don't have to worry about that. This boy will be eating curds and honey. He'll eat well. In fact, the two kingdoms you dread are going to be gone. This boy, his life is going to be a sign of that. So trust me, Ahaz. Now, the problem is, despite the sign, despite what God did, Ahaz already had his plan. Ahaz already knew what he wanted to do. And he invited ruin on his country as he began the process of a coalition with Assyria that ultimately would lead to the Assyrian army coming to them. Look at the difference between his response to this prophecy and the later response we see 700 years later. When this young couple, Mary and Joseph, who were in love, who are betrothed. They've set their date. They're in that final. They've already had the contract of marriage. They've not been through the marriage. And you know the story. The angel shows up and tells Mary, you're going to have a baby. She said, I, I can't have a baby. I've never been with a man. And, and he says, God's doing something here he's never done before. 
God's going to do something amazing. And as that young woman went and told Joseph, and you can only imagine the conversation of here the woman you love is telling you news that your head cannot comprehend. She says she's expecting a child and she's not been with anybody else. And everything in you would go, that's not how life works. And I can only imagine the level of hurt that someone you love so much has hurt you like this. But the confusion, because nothing about this matches her character. And as a noble young man, he determines, I'll just put her away quietly. I'm not going to bring attention to this, but I certainly can't marry her. And then an angel shows up. And as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This really is from God. He continues on with it. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God's doing something here he's never done in history. God's doing a miracle he's never done in history. But then in this moment, the writer Matthew connects the dots for us. In the very next verse, he says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin, and this time it's not just a young woman or a virgin who gets pregnant. It's actually a virgin that's going to conceive and a virgin who will bear a son. And he changes it a little bit here, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the first verse, it was she, singular, will call his name Emmanuel. Here, it's they will call him Emmanuel. He's broadening it to a broader audience. Who will call him Emmanuel? All of us who've experienced God with us. See, as great as the prophecy was in the first context, where he says, hey, Ahaz, I want to give you a sign. It's that much greater in the ultimate fulfillment. That the baby is not just a sign of God's presence. The baby actually is God's presence. It's not just a young woman who ultimately has a baby. And if you read through the book of Isaiah, you can determine who the child is. In Isaiah 7, it's promised. Isaiah 8, Isaiah marries the prophetess and they actually have a child. And so you see the baby there in that context. In Matthew, though, 700 years later, God's doing something so much more significant. But, but here's what I want you to grab as we look at both of these. One prophecy, two fulfillments. Two different audiences that received it. One was a young couple. They didn't have much, but they trusted God. The other was the king of Israel who had everything. Guys, he had the temple. He had the copies of the Torah. He had prophets who literally spoke the voice of God into his life. Ahaz had a godly dad, Jotham. He had a godly grandfather, Uzziah. He had come from a godly line. He has God telling him how he's going to work in human history. He just says, will you listen to me? One prophecy, two fulfillment. One group totally embraced it, even though they had every reason to fight it. And one guy who totally fought it, even though it was right there in his face. As I look at that, sometimes I think about Christmas. 
Because we will all celebrate Christmas. I just read you the stats. Almost all our culture will celebrate Christmas. But not many in our culture will actually experience Emmanuel. They'll hear all the story and celebrate it again kind of as a story that may have happened and it's a beautiful thing. But to actually experience Emmanuel, that he's God with us, that he actually came into human history. And, and it's not that just she will call his name Emmanuel, they will call his name Emmanuel. It's extended to every single one of us that I can experience God with me. But do I? And do we? And will we this Christmas? Even as followers, sometimes I think we can go through the whole Christmas season and never really experience God with us. So how do we experience it? Three things I just want you to look in and see in your notes there. Three things from the story to experience it today. One, we must embrace his plan. We must embrace his plan. God has a plan in human history. God has a plan in our lives. And here's the thing about it. We love the idea of God with us, but here's the deal, guys. If God is with you, it means he actually gets to be God. You don't have God with you and then you go, oh God, I love having you with me. Now, will you take the back seat? Because I really, I am on top of things. Just trust me, God. And, and interject every so often if you think, you know, you got a better way. But I know where I'm going and I know what I'm doing. Guys, God doesn't operate like that. God steps in and says, hey, are you going to listen to me? Are you going to trust me? See, Ahaz was so determined he had a better plan than God he never listened to him. He never turned to him. At one point in his life, he starts turning to the idols of Baal and the idols of the day, even to the point that 2 Kings tells us he offered some of his children up to the idols in his desperation to find any answer except the ones that God was showing him because the one that God was showing him was not the plan he wanted to do. Man, what a difference in that than what you see in Mary and Joseph. I, I love the, the way it puts it with Mary. When the angel shows up and tells Mary her whole life is about to be changed. Every dream she has is about to be disrupted. Everything she had hoped for is about to be over. Her wedding will not be the same. Her life will not be the same. Her marriage, she's got to go now tell her fiance that she's with child. And look at her response, though. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. And I love this line. Let it be to me according to your word. Let me just do life according to what you say and what you declare. There's a hard part of this because her life doesn't get simple after this point. In many ways, it gets harder. But there is a simplicity of just going, you know, if I really want to clarify my life, let me just make it about what God says. Let me just do what God calls me to do. I, I say that because some of you, you're wrestling with God. God has a plan for your life and, and you know what it is, but you don't want to relent to it. And you find yourself doing everything you kind of ignore 
the conviction, or you kind of work around it all the time. You kind of pretend like it's not there, but God doesn't go away. And, and you live in a tension because you don't want to just submit. You just go, God, I'm going to make my life about your plan. Doesn't make it easier, but it does make it clearer. I promise you that. Brings unbelievable clarity to your life. You know, as I look over the course of our life, our marriage, and all the different times that, that God has led us in different ways with it. And uh, I am married to a saint of a woman. I mean that. She's right here now, and, and I don't say that enough with it. Because with all the moves in it, how she's been open to God's leading in our life and our family. You know, we'd been married about five years. We were working at a church. I was a student pastor. I was doing student ministry, liked it, preached some in the church. We liked the church, but I, I'd gone to a, a Bible college. I was ready to go to seminary. I, that, that was in my sights. And so we started visiting seminaries. And I was narrowing down the choice. And we had a plan, and I thought it was a good plan. I really felt like God had called me to preach and teach, ultimately, in the church. You know, you have aspirations and dreams when you're young in that. I was in my mid to late 20s at that point. And, and in it, as we were starting to narrow down, I mean, just over the course of one weekend, God changed the plans of our lives. I, I was in a men's retreat that I was headed on that weekend. Lee was teaching school. She had gotten home from school. And I had one final conference at the end of the day. We were about to do a missions conference, and I had to meet with the head of this missions agency. And we were meeting, kind of laying out the conference and everything. And in the middle of it, he goes, you know, what is, you're the student pastor? I said, yeah. He said, can you preach? I said, I think so. He said, what does your wife do? She teaches school. And he goes, oh, good, it's done. You're going to Bangkok. Like, I didn't know the guy before this. I was like, excuse me? And he goes, oh, no, you'd be perfect there. We need you guys. I mean, your wife could teach in the school. You could do ministry. Yeah, you're, you're going to Bangkok. And, and I, I said, whoa, dude, listen, I am all for you. I am all for missions, sending missionaries. I love preaching about missionaries. I will preach for you. But no, no, no I'm not going. I, I got a plan. And, and he said, in there, okay, well, at, at the conference, will you teach one of the seminars? I said, yes, yes, I will absolutely teach a seminar. He said, would you teach the seminar entitled, Am I Willing to Go? It's like, man. And so I went home. And you got to understand, at this point in our marriage, um, I was always kind of coming up with crazy ideas. You know, crazy things where God was leading in that. I probably shouldn't say at this point in our marriage. It's probably happened in our whole marriage. But I, I'd get these crazy ideas. And, and, you know, I'd come and Lee was my reality check. And so basically, I'd come, and here'd be the crazy idea, like, hey, I think God maybe wants us to do this, and I'd launch it out there, and she'd pull out the gun of reality check, and let it kind of fly, and then poof, shoot it, and we'd go on with life. And so, you know, I walked in the door, and I was like, man, it's, you know, I had this conference with this guy, it was so crazy. He said we should go to Bangkok. Whew, launched it. And I'm waiting, because this is about the time she pulls the gun out. I'm like, uh, did you hear me? Bangkok, as in Thailand, other side of the planet. Come on, it's time to shoot it down now. And she looked at me and she said, well, maybe we should pray about it. And my first response to her was, 
why would we want to do that? <laughs> Seriously, that's dangerous you do that. I don't want to pray about this. Now, over the course of the next few days, man, God didn't leave it in us. And we went through a process. We talked to people we trusted. We got counsel in that. But five months later, we were in Bangkok. We were living there. And I'd love to say, oh, yeah, we got there and it was glorious and that. But it was hard. And, and the dreams I had of preaching and teaching, you know, we, we launched a little church right there on the school campus. And many a Sunday morning I would go, we met in the children's library. And I'd go and I'd set up the chairs. And it was always kind of discouraging preaching-wise because the shelf behind me had all these stuffed animals on it. It's kind of, you know, not preaching in front of the most dignified circumstances. And one day I was really discouraged as I was looking at it and I realized there's more stuffed animals there than there are people that are listening to me. I go, God, was this really your plan? Is this really where you had us? But there was this amazing clarity that comes out of just trusting him. Go, I, I don't have to know all the answers. I just trust and follow where you're leading. The clarity of a Mary who says, God, I'm your servant. I'll do according to your word. Guys, if you want to experience Emmanuel, you got to let God be God. If it's God with us, he gets to be God over every part of your life. Now, the hard part in that is he may be asking you to do something or calling you to do something that you go, I don't see how this is even possible. I mean, I look at Mary and Joseph in that. And that's the second thing I would say. Second thing is we got to trust in his power. We have to trust in his power. See, the problem with Ahaz, he couldn't trust in the power of God that he can't see. All he could trust in was the power of the army of Assyria that he could see. And he thought, if, maybe if I ingratiate myself to them, they'll treat me okay. It, it was a foolish plan. Assyria was a, a culture killer. When they came into a country, they literally decimated it. They, they were known throughout the world for their torture. When they came into Aram, when they came into Israel, they, they would take people and they'd put a hook in their side and chain them together and march them back. They would take all of the inhabitants out of the land to just decimate it so that that land could never rise up against them. And Ahaz, in his foolishness, invited that into Judah, and it would have completely overrun the country. Under Sargon, the leader of Assyria, they marched in, they took the land, they came all the way to Jerusalem. They would have taken Jerusalem, except the son of Ahaz had something different than Ahaz did. His name was Hezekiah, and he had faith. And he prayed to God, and God did the impossible. In one night, the army of Assyria lost 200,000 people at the hands of the angel of the Lord. It's interesting, if you read through archaeological history, in fact, there's a tablet that's called the Sargon Steel and on it, it lists all of the cities that he besieged and he destroyed. Besieged and destroyed. It's interesting, on that tablet, when it gets to Jerusalem, 
It says besieged, and it never said destroyed. Because suddenly, he had to call his army back. He was vulnerable in a way never before. Guys, God has done amazing things in history. And when he calls us to to trust his plan, you can trust he has the power to accomplish his plan. That's what faith is, by the way. Faith is believing God has the power to accomplish his plan, even if I can't see it. That's the faith Mary had. When she looks at the angel and she says, I I don't know how this is even possible. Look what he says to her. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with him. And I would encourage you, some of you, the plan that you're resisting the most from God is actually the plan of salvation. It's actually believing that God really came. It's actually believing this Christmas story is more than just a story. And the things that trip you up the most are the miracles around it. I mean, coming out of the gate, talking about a virgin birth, there's many people that they look at it and they go, a virgin birth, that can't be true. And and yet as you look at it, just, just for a moment, if God actually did show up, if God actually did walk on this planet, if God actually was a part of humanity, don't you think his life would be marked in some amazing ways? And if you look at the life of Christ, two of the most amazing miracles in all of human history, a virgin birth and a resurrection from the dead, they are the bookends of his life. Don't you think it's worth investigating that if he really is God, he's got the power to accomplish his plan. And and, and for some reason, 2,000 years later, As a culture, we're still celebrating it to this level. Guys, that strikes me as more than legend. Do you embrace his plan? Do you embrace his plan of salvation? Do you embrace his plan of whatever he's calling you to do? And maybe right now you can't see how it's going to be accomplished. You literally can't see it. Trust him. If he's calling you to it, he's got the power to do it. He's got the power to do it. The final part of Emmanuel, and I hope we never lose this because it's God with us. Don't lose the with. Here's what I'd encourage you. We must rest in his presence. Rest in his presence. And some of you, you need to hear that the most this Christmas season. Because the reality is for all the celebration of Christmas, it's also a hard time for many people. For some of you, it reminds you of someone that you've lost. And you're grieving this year without them. For some of you, it reminds you of the season of life you're in. You thought by this stage of life you'd be married. You thought by this stage of life your your child would have returned. You you thought life was just going to be different right now. You're struggling with a job. You're struggling financially. You're struggling in different ways. And then you add Christmas on top of all of that. And it's real easy to start wondering, where where is God in all of this? And I think if there's anything Satan loves to attack us in, it's believing that God isn't near. God doesn't care. But let me remind you, and, and, and it's the whole purpose of Christmas, God's plan 
was based on his love. God so loved the world that he sent his son. And if he has the power, the plan to send his son, he has the power to accomplish it, you've got to rest in the fact he's not going to give up on you. He's not going to pull back on you. Christ said it himself, I will never leave you or forsake you. Romans 8 gives us the promise, I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, no matter what you are facing, no matter what you are grieving, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've been attacked by, there is nothing in all of creation that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have to by faith, remember it takes faith to believe if that's God's plan to love me, he has the power to stick with me, to be with me, whether I can see it or not right now. And I say that because Christmas time in particular, it brings up all the hurt we've experienced from other people. And sometimes in light of that hurt, we lose sight of God. I want to read the words of a pastor and seminarian, Craig Barnes. Craig ultimately became the the president of Princeton Theological Seminary. He and his brother, his brother Gary, taught at Dallas Theological Seminary while I was there. Both great guys, godly men. Amazing story. But listen as Craig talks about his life. He said, my father left us when I was 16. And once he left, he never stopped running. Every time we tried to find him, he would only leave and disappear again. He died alone in a raggedy trailer park somewhere in the middle of Florida. A neighboring pastor who did not know him spent two days trying to find his family, even though he didn't know our names. My dad missed all of the important events in his son's lives. Graduations, weddings, birth of children, our two ordinations, both our PhD ceremonies. He missed all of it. I prayed and prayed that he would return. I used to yearn for the day that he would show up in a congregation where I was preaching. My longing was for him to come through the line at the end of worship, take my hand and say, good job, son. But he never came. At his funeral, I stared at the casket and wondered what happened to all those prayers for him. Were they just lying around on the floor of heaven? When the service was over, my brother and I went to his little trailer in hopes of piecing together something about his life. That was when we received the great Christmas gift. Sitting on his kitchen table was a devotional journal in which he had written his prayers and thoughts about various Bible passages. I was relieved to discover that he did not also abandon his faith. But then I came across a dog-eared, tattered page with the title, Daily Prayer List at the top. The first two items on that list were my brother's name and my name. Listen to his words. He said, I will never understand the lonely madness that drove my father away from everyone who loved him. But I am so thankful to know that to his dying day, he never forgot us. He talked to God about us, even though for some reason he could not talk to us. There was enough grace in that to get me through. The grace was not what that The grace was not that I received what I wanted. I did not find my father in time. The grace was that Jesus never lost him. And for me, the grace was that I then realized through all those years of praying for my dad, 
I was speaking with the heavenly father who will never leave me or forsake me. During this season, some of you need an extra measure of grace. Some of you need the grace of knowing that God is near. The grace of knowing he's got a plan. And maybe it's not the plan you would have chosen. But I promise you this, he's a good God and it's a good plan. And he has the power to do what he says he's going to do. He did it in 700 B.C. He did it with the birth of his child. He does it again and again in our lives. Guys, I pray for you this year. Don't just celebrate Christmas. Experience Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you. I thank you for the fact that you are Emmanuel. You are the God who's with us. We thank you for the fact that you loved us so much you sent your son. He loved us so much. He was not only born, but he lived and he died on a cross. Lord, I thank you that he told us before he was about to leave that he would not leave us alone and you sent your spirit. That we are literally never without you. We never go through a day where we don't have you near. We thank you for that truth. We thank you that you're here. Lord, I pray for those who maybe are struggling with believing that in their own lives. I pray for those who maybe are wrestling with your plan. Pray for those who are wrestling with believing that you're really near because of the pain they feel. I pray that by faith, they would believe Emmanuel. And that even through your church and through their time with you, they would experience you in a new way. And I pray this in Christ's name. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.